Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. So put it in context. Call me. 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. The last couple of weeks have been way too binary for this guy. Either everything's going great. House of pleasure. Or everything's falling apart. The house of pain. The reality, of course, is somewhere in the middle. Today, we finally took a step in the right direction. The market was, yes, mixed. Dow only gaining 100 points. S&P advancing 0.25%. NASDAQ declining 0.09%. Some stocks went up. Other stocks went down. Rather than the whole market marching in unison out the window. However, most of the stocks that rallied were what I call slowdown stocks. The ones that do well in a recession. Think the foods, the drugs, and the turbocharged secular growth stories that can transcend the entire business cycle, which there are very, very few. That's a start. But it's hard to outrun the bond bears, aren't they? Aren't they hard? The people who look at plummeting Treasury yields and decide the economy is obviously headed off a cliff. Oh, they blame the trade war with China or the Federal Reserve's unwillingness to signal that they'll take action to prevent a serious slowdown. And you know what? Who can blame him? I'd love some reassurance from Fed Chief Jay Powell that he sees the fear that's gripping the markets, that he's willing to do something about it, that he wants to bust it. I would love that. So would you. We'd all welcome it. Maybe you could just give us some conjecture to explain why Treasuries are rallying to insane levels. But if Powell won't do it, I will. Let me give you a hilarious tutorial about currencies and bonds, if you can believe there's anything funny about either of those things, so that you can understand why money's fleet flying here. How easy it is to fly here from overseas, because it's gotten such a snap. All right, let's go back in the Wayback Machine to, my, uh, to me with hair at my old hedge fund. Let's go back to August of 1991. All right, at that point, I was searching for some good ideas. I heard about an opportunity to buy Dutch bonds, the Netherlands, which were offering much better rates than you could get in the United States. Very similar to what's happening the other way now, right? Much better rates in the United States. To buy these Dutch bonds, I had to buy some of their old currency that was called the Gilder. I had to trade that. I had to clear that trade. And then I could actually go into the market and buy the bonds themselves through a broker. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? I'd own the currency, then I'd own the bonds denominated in the currency and pick up some nice yield better than I'd get from U.S. Treasuries. Make that cash, get a little extra interest. Sounded good to me. The trader I went to said it would take a little while to buy all those gilders I needed $20 million worth and then move that money into the bonds. I was trading out of my country house in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I told the broker that my dad had just come in and we were going out for a bite to eat. So the trade had to be done lickety split. I said I had to have it done by the time I got back. He said, hey, listen, man. That's not going to happen. I got to work. This is you can't just go out and buy twenty million dollars worth of gilders. Give me a shot here. Now, Pop said we should go to Burger King. I agreed because back then I had a much more cavalier attitude to physical fitness, to put it diplomatically. 
We took some time. We debated the fries versus McDonald's. We considered the cleanliness. All in all, it was a pretty good experience, frankly. We had it our way, so to speak. Or at least I thought. When we got back to the house, I called the trader expecting a report on my $20 million worth of Dutch bonds. Turns out I didn't have it my way. Not at all. Turns out, while we were wolfing down those old beef patties, there was a coup in the Soviet Union. A lunch coup! A group of hardline communists had seized the government from Mikhail Gorbachev, so every currency in Europe was plummeting. They were diving. They were getting crushed. Especially, yes, of course. The Gilder! Down more than 2%. That's huge for a currency just like that. Remember, it's the time you get took you get a burger. None of that bonds had shot up in price and down and yield as part of a flight to quality that happened so quickly that that moron trader hadn't even been able to buy the bonds. I was stuck with the Gilder. That special order cost me $400,000. It was supposed to be risk-free. It was supposed to be a gimme. Instead, it crushed me. I learned my lesson. Don't go buying no foreign currencies and foreign bonds because you can lose your shirt. That special order really upset me. Of course, the coup ended up failing. The Soviet Union collapsed. The Gilder regained some of its luster. In the interim, I took the loss. So what the heck does that have to do with what's going on right now? Well, listen up. These days, if you lived overseas and you wanted to do that trade, you know what? You buy U.S. dollars and U.S. treasuries because that's what's giving you that better yield. Of course, now, unlike back then, you can do it almost instantaneously like pressing a button. It's as easy as giving the cashier your order burger easier. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Investors in the rest of the world are using the easy ways you can do it now, are swapping out the debased euro and their lousy bonds with negative interest rates so they can have it their way in our market. Tens of billions of euros, rials, rubles, yen, whatever, zlotties, are being translated into dollars and then buying anything for that yield. For me, it's a gimme. It's a gimme because why would you own government bonds in a weak currency with negative interest rates when you can buy our own government bonds in a strong currency, positive interest rate? It's almost too easy to buy our bonds. They are a fabulous bargain for them, even right here. Tomorrow will be a bargain. There'll be a bargain Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Until they get to zero, they're going to be a bargain. Now let's throw in a complication. When long-term interest rates plummet like this, it's not just a product of demand from overseas. It's also a sign of fear, fear that we're going into recession. You've heard that before. At the same time, President Trump is arguing that we have an amazingly strong economy. After all, employment is still very robust. But simultaneously, he also wants the Fed to cut rates. We have an economy that's not strong enough. Obviously, the president has an aversion to admitting that anything might be wrong with the economy, even if that would help his case with the Fed. Although, Tonight, he acknowledged that the consumer could have to cover some of these tariffs. Clarity. So which is it, a boom or a bust? You know what? I think that's an entire, entirely false dichotomy. The truth is, we're muddling along. The overseas markets are definitely weakening. We know that because Chuck Robbins, CEO of Cisco, told us this very morning, pointing out that July saw some cracks in the economy. But Walmart, the biggest retailer in America, told us that business is strong and the consumer is very Healthy. House of pleasure. Trump stock. The problem is there's always a contrary view. Yesterday, Macy's told a woeful story, truly dispiriting. I think Walmart's the better tell. Obviously, it's like a huge versus Macy's. But, yeah, look, you're getting some mixed signals. And every day, it seems to be a new scare. And today, a financial researcher working at the BS of a short seller, no less, took on General Electric's accounting, claiming that G's headed for bankruptcy. This is the same man also correctly spotted that Bernie Madoff was a fraud well before his hedge fund blew up. So he's got the, uh, let's say, gravitas. Now, he says G has lied about the exposure to these hard-to-value long-term care contracts. CEO Larry Culp, who just bought a ton of stock, heatedly disagreed, but stock got hammered anyway. Any day, some, any, any day someone with an ounce of credibility uh, comes and claims that an American icon is committed fraud, well, that's going to frighten people. This stock was down the most in 11 years, single day. 
Look, I have frequently criticized GE for the way it accounted for long-term care policies, but I'm confident that Culp has taken aggressive steps to be more transparent and reserve enough money to cover the costs. However, as I have told GE management many times and told you, with long-term care policies, you can never reserve too much, which is why the criticism resonated. It always will. That's why the stock went down 11%. Still, Culp's accusing the guy of market manipulation, and can you blame him? Can you blame him? Unfortunately, this issue isn't going to go away anytime soon, and the false dichotomy isn't either, which is why the stocks that do well in a recession are now rallying. Kimberly Clark's that stock is, without even doing good numbers, the stock's up 25 straight points. Procter & Gamble. Meanwhile, the big techs and the industrials are getting hit. Too much exposure to the global economy. Bottom line, as long as Treasury yields keep plummeting, investors will remain unsure of themselves. At least today, they finally found some stocks to buy along with bonds. It's just that they're the wrong stocks, the recession stocks, not the kind of leaders we want to get behind. Zach in Florida. Zach. How you doing tonight? I don't know. I just seen that uh, Larry Colt put another 252,000 shares of GE today. That makes me feel good. What's going on? <laughs> hey, I just want to give a shout out to my brothers and say Carlos Park Fire. We all love and watching your show. Thank so. you. Thank you, the bros. Yeah, man. Hey, my question's for Caterpillar. Yeah. Uh, the stock is down from a 52-week high of 159. Uh, do you agree that it is undervalued? Yes, I do. Strong? But you know what? I got egg all over my face. I mean, I got like, you know, uh, hollandaise sauce on my face. That's how much I like the stock. And I've been wrong. And it's driving me crazy. I bought it for the Chapel Trust. I always play with an open hand. I brag about the winners. Well, you know what? If I could hit myself over the head with a hammer because of this caterpillar, I would. The stock, I think, is cheap, but I think it's going even lower. I never sit down. Cat made me sit down. Let's talk to Dustin in Virginia. Dust. Dusty. Hi, Jim. Uh, Booyah. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. Um, so DXC Technology, they beat projections last quarter, but they lowered the future guidance and the stock falling considerably. Is this a buy or is it a hold? Don't you buy that stock. Don't you dare. That was one of the worst quarters I've seen. I don't even, I don't know. Imagine when to come on and explain it. I think in the end, I'd still say that was a horrible quarter. Why do you even go? That's. That's like a, why don't we go swimming in the Love Canal, pick up some DXC, okay? Am I clear? Am I clear? That was a bad quarter. And uh, I don't mean any insult. They're all really nice. Brad in Tennessee. Brad. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Good afternoon. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm actually doing well, my mother would say. What's up? This is true. Hey, Quick question. I'm uh, 56, looking to diversify my stock portfolio and hopefully retire in nine years. Okie dokie. I currently own Baxter stock through an ESPP, and I'm interested in liquidating some of that Baxter stock and purchase Tilray. What? You're going to sell Baxter to buy Tilray? I don't know. That's what I was considering. No, you're not. You're not going to do that. (laughs) No. You can buy a second-rate cannabis stock and sell a first-rate medical stock? Not in my house. Come right, on. Cool. Hey, Chief, listen, we we like quality. If you're going to sell Baxter, you can buy some Merck. But Tilray? I mean, Tilray? Hey, Cheech, hey, Chong, let's buy some Tilray. All right. Sure, we're in a time of uncertainty. But today, the market took a step in the right direction. I like those callers. I'm not trying to be too glib. 
Uh, on Man Money tonight, after a rough few days, few guests are better equipped to opine on the health of the overall economy than the CEO that joins me tonight. Do not miss my exclusive the CEO of Waste Management. No trash talk, though. <laughs> then, with so much talk about a potential recession, wondering where to put your money if the whole thing goes kerfooey? I've got a new one for you. And with so much uncertainty in the market, searching for positive stories you have may miss and missed, I'm eyeing Tilray. Just kidding. I'm eyeing AMN Healthcare. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. One thing's for certain. There will always be trash. And we'll always need someone to manage it. Waste management has been on a steady climb. And in a volatile market, is one man's trash a stock market treasure? For all the angst about how plummeting long-term interest rates and the inverted yield curve mean we're headed for a recession, at the end of the day, you're still talking they got a top-down perspective. Look at that macro data, jumping to conclusions, not doing the homework. You know me, I prefer a bottoms-up approach. Listening to individual great companies that might know something and then compiling a kind of mosaic to get a sense of how we're really doing. And few companies can give you a better read on the economy than the best of the best in its industry, waste management. It's the largest waste disposal company in North America. You know what creates lots of garbage? Commerce, construction. Guess what? Waste management stock is up more than 30% for the year. The company just reported a strong quarter a few weeks ago, which is not something you'd expect if we're battling toward a recession. But do not take it from me. Let's check in with Jim Fish. He's the president and CEO of Waste Management. Hear how his company's doing and also take the pulse of the broader economy. Mr. Fish, welcome back to Mad Money. How are you, Jim? Have a seat. Good to see you. Okay, I read this. I've followed your company from, I don't know, for 35 years. 7% organic revenue growth in collection disposal business. That is extraordinary. How are you doing it? Well, I mean, look, you said it, you just said it. I mean, the, the economy, you know, there's all kinds of discussion today, yesterday, of course, and, and our business still seems to be humming along. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a good indicator of the economy overall because we service every single segment of the right. economy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, revenue growth has been a, a, a real surprising, uh, you know, positive for us. Like the top line is terrific. Now, there was a discussion on your call about whether you're a, a lagging indicator, so therefore if you do seven, then maybe what's coming right. next is bad. But then I thought you refuted that by saying, listen, we're not leading or lagging. We're just in business. Well, there are, there are pieces of our business that are leading indicators. Yes, that's important. Uh, we are at the end of the cycle, but there are pieces that are leading indicators. Our commercial business, which is a good proxy for small business, right. has been very strong. Obviously, our construction and demolition, everywhere you go, you see cranes everywhere, right. and that is reflected in our, I think it was 13% increase year over year in commercial, or in uh, C&D, and then our special waste business, 
the event component of that is, you know, companies tend to hold off when they see a recession coming, right. and they did not hold they off. They did not. Okay, that's important. There's also just, there was one part of the of your conference call that I had never thought of, but because of, I think it's climate change, but because whatever, there are more disasters than I've seen, and, and sadly, but that's a, actually important business for you. Well, it is. It's hard to predict, obviously, right. but, um, you know, we were up partially because of the fires, right. uh, which were tragic. I was up in Paradise and, 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 and looked at it. It was absolutely terrible. But we helped clean that up. Right. But, but last year, it was, it was the, the hurricanes in Houston, Harvey, and right. in, in, in Florida. So every year, there seems to be something. You're right. I, it seems like there's more of these than there used to be. Right. And, and we have so many locations around North America that we tend to, to be able to help wherever we are. Right. Now, a lot of people just picture you as landfills and trucks. But you are using technology in a remarkable way, both to help employees and to help the bottom line. Yeah, I think it's exciting stuff. Well, so we've, we're spending $100 million this year on technology, uh, upgrading our customer-facing technology. Uh, it's not a secret that everybody wants to use a, a, you know, a, a mobile device right. to, to contact their, their companies uh, that they do business with. And so we're, we're really upgrading that. Our data and analytics, uh, I spent some time yesterday with some of our folks looking at, at data and analytics on how we evaluate our routes how they're routed dynamically, how we can, can check and see how our drivers are doing. So, so we're really upgrading our technology across the board. And, are, and, uh, and are there enough well. people? Are there enough people to do that kind well, of data work? It's, it's a competitive it's hard, market, right? I would tell you. It's a competitive market for sure, but, uh, but we're, we're able to hire who we want to hire, and that's a good, a good sign. That is a good sign. Okay, now there are some terrific things that you're putting out about how you're uniquely positioned, macro factors, social trends, behavioral shift. I know that we don't think of millennials and trash, but that's wrong. You're ahead of the curve of this. Some of these things you're doing are remarkable. Well, that, that's correct. Uh, you know, look, we hear all the time that, that millennials uh, aren't crazy about driving trucks. Right. They're not crazy about uh, operating heavy equipment. We have 2,500 heavy equipment operators. So we're working with Caterpillar. We're doing a, a, a pilot up in Denver, Colorado, where we remotely operate heavy equipment. It's about a mile and a half away, but it redefine, It has the potential to redefine the jobs so that instead of having somebody operating on the face of the landfill, they're sitting in front of a bank of TVs and operating it remotely. But you wouldn't need that uh, if, it were, if it weren't for the fact that labor is in short supply versus the negativists who are saying that we're right around the corner from recession. You know, I... I I hear that, obviously, uh, the unemployment rate is at a, whatever, a 50-year low, yeah. but, but we're able to hire who we want to hire. Okay. Um, I, I can't speak to those companies that can't, but, but we're able to get uh, our, our drivers, our heavy equipment operators, our, our customer service reps, we're able to hire who we want to hire. Right, and I always like to ask you, because I think our country's not good at it, uh, are we getting any better at recycling? Are there any places that uh, are cities that, that aren't rich enough to even recycle? Where are we right now? You know, we're starting to take, we're taking a real proactive approach to recycling. Because I would tell you that, that recycled commodity prices are at 25-year lows. But um, what we're doing is changing the model. And, and we're putting a, a new plant in Chicago. It, it, it takes out those things that we want as opposed to today where it, where it, it waits, a conveyor belt goes by and, and you're pulling off the things that you don't want. But they're like dumping baby carriages oh, yeah. and diapers no, there's, in there. There's a bunch of junk in there, yeah. for sure. So, so to answer your question, I'm not sure we're getting a lot better at it as as uh, producers of, of recyclables or trash, but waste management is going to change the way we, we sort that material, and I think it really improves the, the quality. And, and does that help in a situation where China used to be a big buyer, and now they, I guess they've just disappeared and not yeah. coming back? No, potentially, though. You're right. I mean, you know, we used to sell 30% of our stuff to them. Yeah. Now we sell two. 
But it's because it's, it has nothing to do with the trade wars, by the way. It has right. everything to do with the quality of the material. Right, if we said. improve the quality of the material, they'll maybe they're a big customer again. I, I never thought that you could make these kinds of numbers knowing what the, that the recycle from China would drop off like that. That's a great credit it, to you. It does speak to the, to the health of the rest of the business, that's which, true. by the way, is 90% of it. But right? also, I mean, you made that acquisition. You're doing everything right. Yeah. And that's why you're up 30% yeah. for the year, and you deserve to be. <laughs> that's Jim Fisk, President and CEO of Waste Manager WM. Again, we're featuring companies tonight that are what you want, domestic growth companies with great organic growth. That's what you need. And also, of course, really savvy management to be able to, do an ex- to execute in a tough environment. Man, money's back I keep telling you that we're reading too much into this darn inverted yield curve. When long-term rates drop below short-term rates, it usually means the bond market is feeling apprehensive about the future. And yesterday's 10-year, 2-year inversion particularly is widely viewed as a arbinger of recession. Look, I don't want to be glib. An inverted yield curve is a bad omen. I just think you need a professional to interpret that omen. The omen. Kind of like that movie. The bears argue that the bond market's behaving this way for a very simple reason, because investors want someplace safe to hide their assets in anticipation of a serious economic slowdown. That's true, but it's not the whole story, because the slowdown is mostly happening overseas, and the worried investors are mostly from abroad. They're pouring their money into U.S. Treasuries, as I said at the top of the show, because our interest rates are much higher than theirs. While nobody wants a worldwide slowdown, there are vast swaths of our economy that can do just fine in that situation. But for the moment, okay, let's say I'm wrong. And the bond market doomsayers are right. Let's say the U.S. economy is about to hit a wall. If the worst-case scenario comes true, what's the right place to put your money? Here's the thing. Even in a recession, some stocks will go higher, as we saw today, with the staples. Which ones? That slow and steady defensive stocks that rallied this very morning, even into the chaos. Stocks of companies that don't need a healthy economy to beat the earnings estimates. Stocks that you can confidently buy on the way down. Because if the bears are right, these names are ultimately going higher, not lower, as they did, by the way, even in the spring of 2000, which was a terrible market. Think consumer packaged goods, think food, think beverages, think some parts of healthcare. And I got a new one, one I need you to think about. Tonight, I want to introduce you to a relatively recent spinoff in the healthcare space that's begging to be bought because it very much fits this bill that I'm talking about. You will know it, it's for some of you, it's a household name who have. Bad eyes like me. I'm talking about Alcon, ALC, the eye care business that used to be belonged to Novartis, another great company. If any of you wear contact lenses, should I take mine out? What do you think? It's hard to put in when you don't have a mirror. Did you know that? Um, if anyone has an Alcon, they make everything from over-the-counter contact solutions to treatments for glaucoma, cataracts, retinal diseases, dry eye, and even eye-related surgical equipment. All told, eye care is a $24 billion market, and it's growing by leaps and bounds. Boomers. Yet, regardless of what's happening in the broader economy, the eye care business is strong. This is a secular growth story with several different drivers. First and most important, you got that aging population worldwide. Over the next 30 years, the number of people over the age of 60 is expected to double. The older you get, the more likely you are to have vision problems. Second, more and more people are becoming nearsighted because they spend all day staring at their phones and tablets and computer screens. Not me. Well, okay, maybe only when I'm awake. Third, if you want the best eye care, you need to pay for it. You're not going to buy contact lenses if you don't have any disposable income. So the rising middle class in the developing world is a big deal for these guys. Over the next 10 to 15 years, something like 1.5 billion people will join the global middle class. That's 1.5 billion uh, people who, who can afford contact lenses. 
Fourth, companies like Alcon keep innovating, coming up with better solutions for eye problems, which creates new demand all on its own. Put it all together and you've got exactly the kind of long-term theme that will keep working even in a major slowdown. Now, when it comes to eye care devices, Alcon is the number one player in the surgical space, number two in vision care, just a tiny bit behind J&J. In fact, all the company's products are either number one or number two by market share. And that's what you want. When, you're, when you want to select a stock, you want guys who are at the top of the game. There's a lot to like here. So why in the world then did Novartis spin off Alcon as an independent company back in April? Simple. Novartis CEO, Vas Narasimhan, whom we've had on the show and I think is dynamite, I should call him Dr. Vass, wants to turn his business into a pure play prescription drug company. Oh, man, that guy's whip smart. Remember that interview? I don't know. If you haven't seen it, maybe go to the archives. He's been selling off anything with over-the-counter exposure, buying up smaller companies to bulk out his new drug pipeline which, by the way, is extraordinary. Alcon may be a high-quality enterprise, but it doesn't fit with Nara Simmons' vision. It's got too much exposure to medical devices and over-the-counter products. By the way, things I love, but Vass has got different plans. As I've pointed out many times, this is why breakups can be so lucrative. Alcon didn't really fit in with Novartis, which is a fabulous company in stock of its own right. But as an independent company, Alcon can devote itself to becoming the best independent eye care company it can be, investing in growth, cutting unnecessary expenses, and making stock a more attractive investment by being laser-focused. So let's talk about these financials. When Alcon gave us its first quarter trading update in mid-May, the company posted some solid numbers. Most importantly, they delivered 4% organic growth on a constant currency basis, even if the absolute numbers were flat because of these... What I can't say. Guess what? Forex change. Forex uh, headwinds. Management basically gave Wall Street exactly what they expected, although the stock pulled back a bit on the news. Alcon reports again in a week, so it is worth picking at right here. It, it, I, I got to say yes in the terrifying tape. Uh, yeah, look, you could wait to see the quarter to pull the trigger, but uh, well, let me let me tell you how I see it. The analysts who cover Alcon have repeatedly stressed that the stock's expensive, and it's held up remarkably well in a very difficult environment, which is exactly what you'd expect. Right now, the stock trades at 59 bucks. It's down less than 5 bucks from its highs earlier in the year. At these levels, Alcon's selling for 28 times next year's earnings, uh, 24 times 2021 earnings. That's a premium to other players in the eye care space. J&J sells for 14 times next year's numbers. But then again, J&J is clearly not a pure play, right? Uh, it, the stock's been hammered of late, and thanks to a series of major lawsuits, the other big eye care plays, like Bausch uh, uh, Health, the parent of Bausch & Loam, still making it way, way back from the brink. Thanks to CEO Joe Papa's turnaround efforts, it sells for five times next year's earnings. I don't think it's useful comparison. I do think it should be bought. Alcon may be pricey, but if the company can hit its long-term targets, eh, it deserves the premium valuation. By 2023, management is forecasting mid-single-digit sales growth accelerating. They believe they can get their operating margin, the percentage of their sales that they keep for paying interest for taxes uh, or taxes, up substantially from 17 to 18% this year to the low to mid-20s by 2023. And that's why we love these spin-off stories. They can become leaner, meaner, money-making machines. I want to put it all together. You'll be throwing off a lot of cash here, some of which they'll eventually plan to turn to shareholders and buybacks. If you like it, I recommend putting on a small position before the quarter, tomorrow morning. Here's the bottom line. If I turn out to be wrong and we really are headed into recession, you want to own something like Alcon. Slow and steady eye care spin-off from Novartis. This is exactly the kind of stock that can go higher even in a slowdown. Maybe especially the slowdown, which is why Alcon shares are up this month, even when the major averages are just getting pummeled. David in Ohio. David. Yes, booyah to you. This is a first-time caller. Booyah, David. I had a question on Rite Aid with the Walgreens closing 200 stores and a new CEO and some other implement of doctor's offices. 
if this would be a good buy. No, um, this doesn't have the horses, frankly. Uh, you need to be the most solvent, biggest player in the industry. That would be CVS. I like, I'm walking just big, but I like CVS to stop me on it for my travel trust. I don't want you to trade down to right Aid. Let's go to Nick in Texas, please. Nick. Hey, Jim, big Texas booyah to ya. Well, I like that. We like to have at least one Texan per show. What's going on? Great, great thanks to all your help. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Um, I purchased some shares of Serepida and uh, 50 shares at $16, and I sold 30 at 66 but I've kept 20 and it's down about 24 25% off its highs. And I thought last time you spoke of it that you were still uh, bullish on it. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I think it's I think it's good. Okay, look, it, it's it's a little speculative, but it's really been a good stock. And I, you know, congratulations. You've look, you've done right. You've taken your money, you know, your invested capital off the table. You're playing with the house's money. You can't beat that even in this miserable tape. Listen, I do not think we're headed for a recession. But if I'm wrong and the U.S. economy hits a wall, Alcon is not a bad place for your money. Much more mad money. It's been a rough month for the average. No kidding. But I'm focusing on one positive stock story that you may have missed. Don't miss my sit down with a company that should be better known, but maybe a watch, AMN Healthcare. Then can you talk yourself out of a recession? I don't think so. But I'll tell you who can. Coming right up at all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. genuinely worried that we could be headed into a recession. I, I don't agree, but I can't blame anyone for being freaked out by that bond market. Then what should you own? How about you went desperately domestically oriented companies, non-cyclical industries that we know are in good shape because they just reported great quarters. At look at Kramer fave AMN Healthcare, which is a managed service provider that helps hospitals with staffing and workforce solutions. They find doctors and nurses so that hospitals can focus on treating you, treating patients. And that's exactly the kind of business I want to own in a slowdown. While AMN has been a long-term winner, the stock did get a hit in February. When management gave some extremely conservative guidance for 2019, got to find out about that. Lately, the stock's been getting its groove back. Last week, AMN reported a fabulous quarter, eight cent earnings beat off of a 69 cent basis, higher than expected revenue, bullish forecast. Stock exploded higher on the news as it should have, which is why it's barely been dinged during this latest market wide meltdown. So could this thing have more upside? Let's take a closer look with an old friend of this show, Susan Salk. She's the president and CEO of AMN Healthcare Services. Get a better sense of how our company's doing and where it's headed. Ms. Salk, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you. Yes. Thank you so much for coming in. Well, it's funny. You know, you gave that conservative guidance, and that did spook people. But the reality is your business is pretty much on fire. Well, we've seen a tremendous increase in demand, in particular over the last couple of quarters. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not surprising. We have really strong macro trends driving our business. You know, the aging population is in full swing, right. and that hits clinicians as well. And so we have a very tight labor market, and it's difficult for our clients to find the talent that they need. But that's where we come in. We can really use our expertise, our marketing technologies. And in this market, it's even tough for us, but we're able to find the great quality talent that they're looking for. What are those technologies? Well, we use a lot of marketing technologies over the web, of course, okay. but then also we've gone digital and have mobile um, apps and, and capabilities that we can reach out into the daily lives of our con- clinicians and make it really easy for them to interface with us. Another example is a great acquisition we made right after I saw you yes, in January. Right. Right. 
a wonderful cloud-based credentialing company that makes it very easy for physicians, in this case, to keep their credentials in one place and then very easily share it with uh, organizations that they want to work for. So it's a real win-win for the physician, but then also certainly for healthcare organizations. Credentialing is a huge pain point and something that, quite honestly, needs to be innovated, and we're bringing that to the market. Uh, explain it to me. Is that... Uh trying to be sure you have the right person? What is it? Or uh, fraud? What? Well, it is making sure that the individual that you're hiring, whether it be on a contingent basis or permanent, has the right credentials. Okay. And so we do that in our own business. In fact, we're, we're you know quite well known, and it's one of the things that sets AMN apart. Okay. But we know that our clients deal with this on a daily basis. And so we really want to bring, again, innovative solutions and things that are going to help them streamline even the everyday things they need to, need to do to deliver great care. So you basically eliminated a whole slew of things that they were doing that may not necessarily be as good as you are. Well, we can certainly make sure that it's going to be faster, more streamlined, and more accurate. So, you know, hopefully those technologies will be things that will help them do what they do best, and that is focus on patient care. Okay, so there is a great debate going on in this country right now, and it's kind of this, I call it a a false dichotomy. There are people who think that the economy is booming, and there are people who think that we're about to go into recession. When I listen to you, I think not necessarily booming, but there's strong demand for labor still. It's not like you're sitting, there's a big labor pool and, and everyone is saying, ah, I don't need those people. It's the opposite. You know, you're absolutely right. We have strong demand across most all of our businesses right now. In Nurse and Allied, we mentioned on our earnings call recently, right. the demand is up over 20% year over year. In fact, it's the highest it's been in some of our businesses in, in many, many years. And then even in our other workforce solutions, areas like interim leadership and physician perm placement, our technology businesses, we're seeing great demand. But what we're seeing more than anything is that our clients really want to work with a total workforce solution partner like AMN. And we've really made a a pretty tremendous transformation over the last decade from moving from a transactional relationship to much more of a strategic relationship with our clients. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was kind of like a, a help service. You're no longer a help service. But you are also an honest broker. I've known you for a long time, and I know how important corporate governance is for you. So I'm going to ask you something that's not necessarily in your belly, but it involves health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very fine company, GE, is under attack because of some misjudgments uh, that the company made, among other things, for long-term care projections. Now, I know that you don't do long-term care. It's a terrible business for anybody. It's a terrible business other than the patient. But it, it is, it's hard to estimate, right? I mean, it's hard to estimate how long a live-in person will be, uh, stay with you. It's hard to estimate the actuarial tables. And you've got the baby boomers that took this. So, I mean, isn't it a little more gray than black and white that companies trying to identify what the exposure is to long-term care? Well, I don't know that I can comment on their specific no, situation. Not there. It's just in general. It's know, a tough absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Well, you know, that's where I think you... You have to have the right partners, and internally you have to really have the right culture, and you have to make sure that whatever you're estimating and whatever you're sharing, you do it in a transparent way. And it's something that we take very seriously at AMN. I can tell you all the way from the board through all of our 3,500 corporate employees and even our almost 20,000 clinicians working out in the field, we want to know that we're doing the right thing each and every day. So we have a very open and transparent culture in that way. Okay, last thing is, what is the total addressable market now? I mean, because you've, uh, to me, baby boomers, retirement demographics that we were talking about, this market's much larger than we realize, and you've got a lot of runway. 
We do. We do. And we continue to expand into new markets, which expand our addressable markets. So if you think of just healthcare staffing, it's almost a $20 billion market. But we've moved into many other areas, such as some of these technology solutions I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. We also recently made a great acquisition in the clinical school staffing space. The advanced medical team joined us in June, and I am so excited because it really helps us address a very critical part of the market, helping our children at a time when they need us most. And so that business is doing some really interesting things to innovate in the school space, both in terms of delivering behavioral health services, uh, physical therapy, but also innovating through telehealth to be sure that we can get to those children in the most remote places. So I'd say our addressable market has expanded, actually doubled um, definitely over the last Even since the time that I've known you. And again, I want to emphasize in terms of corporate governance, she is amazing and a great teacher of it. And I know we care about that these days as much as we care about the earnings. That's Susan Salka, president and CEO of AMN Healthcare Services. This is a growth industry. It has nothing to do with anything happening in Washington or in China. It just has to do with an industry that is growing like mad and they're capitalizing on it. They have money's back at the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate Daddy! It's over the lightning round. Because we're with Mike in New Jersey. Mike, Mike, Mike. Hi, Jim. First time, long time. Thank you for all you do. No problem. I'm in the house of pain. Lost half my chips. Do I double down? Check. Do I take my chips and go home with Penn National Gaming? Penn National Gaming. Uh... I actually kind of like it down here. I don't want you to leave it. I like the domestic game because uh, you don't have the Hong Kong problem. I say stick with it. Don't want to double down, but let's stick with it. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing all right. My question for you is regarding the merger with CBS. What's the difference between Class A and Class B shares of Viacom? Nothing. They're both going down. It's driving me crazy. Uh, Look, we have uh, Chapel Trust owns Via, and I just think you should just buy it. This merger is absolutely terrific. Bob Backish has to come on Mad Money and explain why this is great, and I think, therefore, people will understand why my Chapel Trust owns it. Right now, I feel like I'm all alone out here. Uh, with the exception of the crew. Okay, let's go to Aaron in Alabama. Aaron! Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call on Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Love that. Yes, sir. Hey, yep. I have a quick question about Berkshire Hathaway B. It's down uh, 8.4% in five months. Is now a good time to buy? Yes. Uh, the answer is yes. Unqualifiable yes. There's great value there, and you've got a great man at the top. Period. End of story. I need to go right now to RJ in California. RJ! Booyah, Jimmy. King he doesn't have to call me, RJ. They Go know ahead. nothing. They know nothing. My, I have a 5G play. I'm switching okay. my entire uh, HIA position to TSM, Taiwan Semiconductor. Well, you're yeah. taking a kind of a risk there. And the stock has, uh, I do like the company, but I got to tell you, Marvell, MRVL, which I'm buying for the trust, follow along, actualizedplus.com. I will see your Taiwan Semi and raise you with Marvell. Because Rick Hill is the chairman, and Rick Hill. Midas is what they call him. I need to go to Grant in Texas. Grant. Hey, Kramer, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. I wanted to ask you about Yeti. You stopped around 20% after hitting all-time highs in July. Is this a good opportunity to buy, or should I stay on the sideline? 
I like Yeti very much. I'm surprised it came back down again. It had a, left some resistance in the 30s. We liked it from the teens. We like it still. It's a great brand name. It's got guy, I, my, my wife went to school. I think I went to Trinity. A very, very strong story. Let's go to Victor in New York. Victor. Booyah, Jim! Wow, it's a familiar booyah. I always love those. What's going on? First time call, long time listener. I love those. All right, first I just want to say I absolutely love the show. Thank you for what you do. Okay. I recently took a position in a stock that had a big pullback this week. Despite earnings being good, it went from 47 down to 24. I got in around 28. What are your thoughts on Green Dot, G-D-O-T? They, they, that was not that good a quarter. Um, I, unless you know something that I don't, I mean, I think you're just, you know, you're. it's a shot in the dark. They lower guidance really badly. Uh, I'm going to have to take a pass on that one. I think you're on your own. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Can you talk yourself into a recession? Just talk yourself into it. Unfortunately, the answer is yes. See, an economy runs on confidence. Business needs confidence so they can take risks. And this endless chatter about a potential recession can erode that very confidence. When I say the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, thank you, FDR, that doesn't mean we have nothing to worry about. The palpable sense of fear is extremely worrisome. So far, I've resisted the recession talk in this show because when you look at employment growth, consumer spending, demand for money, Walmart, they've been incredibly positive. There's been no let up at all in hiring. Frankly, I think the shortage of workers in this country remains a bigger issue than unemployment right now, and that's highly unusual. You heard that both from Jim Fish of Waste Management and Susan Sokol of AMN Healthcare Services this very show. But in the last two weeks, we've seen a serious erosion of that confidence. I've been telling you that an outright recession is unlikely, but a slowdown? Possibility. With $40 trillion bond market behaving like a small cap stock experiencing a short squeeze, we need to take that possibility seriously. Can't be ignored. Now, I'm getting criticized all over the place, particularly on Twitter, for being too cautious and for changing my mind on a dime. You know what? When the facts change, I change my mind. And it's the bond market that changed on a dime. And that is it's crazy. It's not supposed to happen, people. We went from a relatively normal bond market where long-term interest rates were higher than short-term ones. That's the typical equilibrium. To a bond market where long rates shot right through short rates like a machete through butter. As someone who used to trade bonds, I was shocked by the move because it was so out of sync with what we're seeing in the stock market. The thing is, stocks only do take their cue from the much larger bond market, and now stocks are starting to confirm what bonds are saying. After yesterday's decline, stocks are saying that the odds of recession have increased, perhaps dramatically. And the winning stocks today were largely the staples that have done well in recessions. Call it ineluctable. It'd be nuts to stay as positive as I was, or frankly, that I would like to be. In that scenario, however, I can and will continue to be constructive because I don't hear that on other shows and other places and other papers. I like to be constructive. To put it another way, I'm now being inundated with questions from regular people on the street, in my restaurants, wherever I go, wherever I do. And it's not the question is not will there be a recession, but when is it going to start? I can't blithely dismiss the possibility one of the paramount clues, the inverted yield curve, is screaming that it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Just some people say it's a year. Some people say it's 18 months. I say nonsense. Now, I've said over and over again the yield curve could be wrong. But day by day, confidence is eroding. 
eroded by a Fed that tightened too quickly and remains unwilling to own that error, eroded by a trade war that shows no signs of ending, even if you believe it's a necessary evil, as I do, eroded by a belief that some of these Democrats running for president are not exactly friendly to big business, and they might win. Right now, we are talking our way into a recession for certain. Can we talk our way out of one? We can't, but the Federal Reserve can. Fed Chief Jay Powell could come out today, next week, wherever, and say he hears what the bond market's saying. So he'll give us as many rate cuts as we need to get right back on track. The president could de-escalate the trade war, please, or at least maybe make it less visible, maybe more back room where he can get something done. And the president's got to stop bashing the Fed, for heaven's sake. If bond yields keep plummeting, it might not matter. We'll scare ourselves right out of this terrific bony year expansion for certain. But a recession, that's not necessarily on the table as long as the Fed acts aggressively to ensure a soft landing, something I genuinely believe is still possible, but might not be for long. Stick with Kramer. My dog had a great number tonight. That's right, NVIDIA, upside surprise. You know what? I think it's the first of many, and I think that people are going to have to take a swing. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.